Welcome to the second season of the Gutsy Health Podcast with Shanique Roney and Gina Warfel, where we share uncomplicated, practical, and affordable wellness education so you can be a self-healing champion. This episode is brought to you by the Gutsy Health Membership Program, a program that gives you inexpensive tools and resources to heal your mind, body, and soul. Visit our website at mygutsyhealth.com. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the podcast. I have an amazing guest here today, Stephanie Dodier, and she's a clinical nutritionist and a certified intuitive eating counselor. So this is going to be amazing because one of our top listened to podcasts was actually around the relationship to our food and our bodies. And Stephanie is definitely an expert. And we know that in this culture, we are just flooded with certain expectations and diets, and it can get really overwhelming. Like, how do we learn how to honor our bodies and maybe even eat healthier, but do it in a way that is not rigid dieting? I'm so passionate about intuitive eating. I completely agree with this the beautiful message that Stephanie has about undieting your life. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Welcome, Stephanie. I'm excited to be with you, Gina. And hi to everyone listening. What does that mean, undieting? What happens being in such a diet culture? What does it mean to undiet? I'll take this opportunity to share my story because the journey of me being here today is from a lived experience. As I said during our conversation at the beginning, I have a PhD in dieting. If there is such Mm. a thing, I would own it. My first diet was at the age of 12 and my last diet was at the age of 39. So for that period of time, I controlled food through calories, through macros, through meal plan, all the variation of it, I did it. And it was about being enough, being feeling enough because my body wasn't good enough. When you are at the age of 12 and you're being told that you need to go to Weight Watcher, that leaves a mark on you, a mark that your body is not good enough. And because not all of your perspective of life is developed at that age, you kind of understand that you're not good enough and you need to fix that. So my entire life until the 40s was under the tone of, I need to get enough by shrinking my body. And habits of life, you develop perspective on life from the place that you are not enough and from the place that food must be controlled and your body must be controlled as well. And you get merged into what is called diet culture. Diet culture is a system of belief whereby we value people's worth based on the size of their body. So if you are privileged to be in a, well, I call a normal size body, then you are more valuable, you are more worthy than someone like me who is in a larger body. It becomes like a literally like a pair of glasses you put on your face every morning, and that's the lens through which you see light. You become diet culture life. So when I say my business is named on diet your life, it's like the process of taking these glasses off, undieting your food, your body image, but your whole way of looking at life. How did you bridge that gap? I mean, when that Mm. is so put into your mind from such a young age, what was that process like as you were growing up and how did you start shifting these perspectives? Growing up, it became just normal. 
So for me, it was normal. And it was surrounded. People have to understand I'm 47. So I grew up in the 80s. And that was probably the prime era of dieting. My mom was like, every single diet. There's a thing. I'm doing it. I'm trying it. Oh, gosh. Well, like, you know, that was the days of the name of that cabbage soup diet and the banana diet. Like, I've done them all because I was doing it with my mom and my aunts and all the people around me. So to me, that was just life. Yeah. It's just like there's no other way of living and then you go to something to do well and that's why that when we talk about diet culture it's a system of belief it's literally values built in to all the people that's how we see life and so you go anywhere and you meet people who are believing the same thing as you And, and as a woman surrounded by women all obsessed with their body that's what you talk about right your latest diet and meeting a woman that owned her body never happened to me like all the women around me criticized their body and wished they were smaller and to this day it's the same pattern when you are in circle of women i didn't know anything else i just thought that was life until my 40s when my body collapse. I had a, my first phase of my life in my 20s and 30s was in the corporate world. And I became an executive and worked really hard, hustled and worked really, really hard. And my body collapsed at the age of 39. I was on stage giving a talk and I literally passed out. Whoa, you physically collapsed. Like wow. physically, not just like well, an analogy. Like emotionally. Yeah, you it actually, was like my spirit, yeah. physics, mental Whoa. and emotion just collapsed. And because I was in between diets at that time, I was in a larger body and I got sent to the hospital in the assumption, the weight stigma, what we call fat phobia, the fear of fatness or medicalized weight stigma. As soon as they see someone in a larger body come in, it's a heart attack, right? So I got put through all the tests. And I remember the doctor sitting at the end of my emergency bed and saying, I don't understand why, but you're very healthy. Wow. The assumption that because I was in a larger body, I should be unhealthy. Even me, I thought I have to be unhealthy. And that's why I collapsed. Says we ran all the tests possible and your heart is very healthy. So the only thing that can be is panic attack. Hmm. So I got sent for further tests and I got diagnosed with anxiety disorder, panic attack, depression, all the psychological symptoms. What you were diagnosed with, what you were struggling with? It's an interesting question. Did it feel right? I don't know that I felt anything at that point. I was so disconnected from my body. I get that. Visual I've been on that journey. Yeah. I, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, it's like a bubble head. You know those bubble heads you used yeah. to put on the top of the dashboard? Yeah, I can really relate to that. And I just want to say, I also like I'm a classically trained dietitian, and I was doing all the diets and the meal plans and the things. And I had someone point out to me, "Do you realize how disconnected?" He was my first mentor, and he said, "Do you mm. realize you're completely disconnected from your emotions and your body?" And he would say, "What are you feeling?" And I'm like, "Oh," uh. and I just was like, "I should Google." feeling. I need to sneak out my computer and Google what counts as a feeling because I couldn't tell you if I was anxious, depressed, I was numb to all of it. So I can really relate to that. And that's actually what sent me on a deeper path of reuniting with my body in such beautiful ways. So keep going. (laughs) So you collapsed. I collapsed. 
assumptions were made that it was my heart, wasn't my heart. Did it feel right? It felt like at least I've got a solution so that I can get some resolution and keep working. Because the my self-image was so low that my only identity proof that I was enough in the world was my job. I was a workaholic, if you want to call it this way. And I took some medication, went back to work, and every morning morning we have a conference call for the team, which is like large number of people, and I have to speak and I go and press the mute button to unmute myself and the panic attack starts again. And it happened like that every time I wanted to express myself. So that propelled me in seeking an answer. Mm. And that's when I started exploring all the alternative medicine, naturopathy, hypnotherapy, acupuncture, like all the things trying to find a solution. And I did all the things. What did you notice doing all those things? They were talking another language. Every time I would get into one of those practitioner's office, they talked about things I had no relation with, my body, my emotion, how it felt. Like they asked me questions and I had this deep awareness over that year period that I didn't know anything about myself. I didn't know who I was because who I was was a dieter, a person who hates her body and wants to get smaller or the executive. And I couldn't do the executive anymore because I couldn't speak. So I was in an identity crisis. Wow. Which I think people who are truly going through their evolution kind of hit that point of an identity crisis of like grasping on to the old, right? How do you see that play a role of the identity? Because I think many people have those similar stories, right? Where they grew up in diet culture or someone telling them that they're not enough and they need to change. And so then we get these deep embedded stories that we are not enough. And how do you think that that identity, like how much of it do you think plays a role? I think it's the trigger. So if I go back in my story to the 12 year old version of me who gets in a car with her mom to go to Weight Watcher, up to that moment in my life, life was great. I had plenty of friends, I was running around. I had a body, but I wasn't aware that it was wrong. And my life turned from that moment. And then the consecutive weeks and months of being told that I wasn't eating right, and then I wasn't losing enough weight and all the things just created an image, a concept of myself that I wasn't enough. And then from that perspective, from those glasses, I gave an interpretation to the world that I wasn't enough. So everything that I did to perform to be number one. It's such a critical age for children. And that's why I'm so passionate, the work that I do, that we change the intergenerational trauma of diet culture, that we impact the moms and the dads in this world, that this doesn't happen to the next generation. Mm. I work with the women to change that, override all this programming, but we need to cut it at the source. Yeah. And can you speak to maybe like, what does that look like when you see people making these changes? What types of experiences do they have? Does it affect Mm. their health or the relationship with themselves or their food? Like what is the trickle effect of us undoing these diet ways of thinking and being? The process that we use is called going beyond the food. That was my first 
four years in working with women and women who wanted to stop dieting. And then I got testimonials and clients over clients. And the one word that, or the collection of three words that women would tell me over and over and over again is, you changed my life. My intention as a nutritionist was only to change the way they ate, only to change like <laughs> accepting their body and getting them to be engaging in health from an undiet perspective. But I kept getting this, oh, my life changed, oh, my life changed. And I would see yeah. clients a year later, and then they would have got a new partner and got a promotion. And, and then somebody said to me, you undieted my life and you gave me back mm -hmm. my life. It's like a portal to like, you think that you're going in for like, hey, you know, help yes. me with my food and my eating. And it's actually this beautiful journey that affects everything in your life. Absolutely. And that's why it's called Undiet Your Life. We go beyond the food. So we don't look necessarily at the food behavior at first. We look at why people engage with food. So mm. we use cognitive behavioral coaching model because we're not therapists. So we just use a coaching model that digs at the thought and the belief. Mm. And we teach people about how to process their emotion and be with their emotion, all the human skills mm -hmm. that got overridden with the obsession with food and body. We teach them back these basic skills and then, yeah, they change the way they eat. They become intuitive eater and they're happy about their body. And that skill set allows them to go back into life and then change their life to what they truly yeah. want. It is amazing. I always feel that food is such a mirror for the relationship that I have oh. with my life. Like when I'm anxious and I'm fast and I'm eating fast and I'm disconnected, it's probably mirroring the way that I approach my life and my work, my relationships, like fast and anxious and disconnected, intense and very intense versus like slow and connected and just like savoring it and mindful. And it's so interesting. I just think our food is just such a mirror for our own lives. And then when you shift to food, it's like you can shift. Also, it almost affects everything else in your life. You're 100% right. <laughs> I say to people, how we do one thing is how we do everything. Yeah. In my context of dieting and food, I say like the relationship you have with food is how you do the rest of your life. Mm. Take a couple of weeks and go reflect on that. And that's what they realize is that they engage with food, just like you said, like the rest of their life. Instead of what we learn to do is instead look at food to see what's going on in our life, right? Yeah. So allowing us to make life decision from a different perspective. One of the most powerful concept we teach is emotional eating is a gift because most people listening to this think, that emotional eating is a terrible thing because diet culture has taught us that eating off plan, off protocol is bad because the only way for us to lose the weight temporarily is to follow the strict protocol or the calorie count or whatever the thing is from the diet plan you're on. And yeah. then when you're off plan, while well, you're emotional eating, you should not mm. be eating for your emotions. So we turn that 180 and say, instead, when you want to eat emotionally, first of all, natural relationship to food is emotional. It's not just physical. It's supposed mm -hmm. to be emotional. And then two, allow yourself to look what is going on emotionally in my life. What am I thinking about? What is the environment? What's going on in my life that I need to aid my emotion with food? Mm -hmm. So when you 
want to eat emotionally, it's a gift because it's kind of a sign from your inner world that you need to pay attention to something around you. Right. It's like the greatest teacher, our greatest guru. Getting your attention. Listen to me. I need something. (laughs) And it's like the stronger the craving, the stronger the poke of listen to me. I'm trying to get your attention. Absolutely. And then when you take the rules off of food and you allow all food in, because what I have found over the years is there's a lot of rebellious eating happening. Mm, So when we restrict food for whatever reason, I want people to understand the reason why we restrict food is not simply just about the weight, right? If you're restricting food for whatever reason, you're saying there's this food group, this quantity of food that I can't eat, your brain, your survival part of your brain, because we have to understand our brain has one function to keep us alive. And our brain knows that food is the number one gateway to keep us alive. So when you put a rule that you can't have this food or that food, the brain's like, hell no, like Mm -hmm. this is survival. I need to have the food. So you will crave food, not necessarily because it's emotional, but because you have a rule that says you can't have the food. That's what we call rebellious eating, right? And the way to heal it is to remove the rules. I feel that so much because I went through a period where I did not trust myself with food. And I probably got down to having like five different foods in my house because I was like, Uh nope, I'll overeat that. I'll overeat that. I'll overeat that. And I was like, if I just have the simplest, healthiest, blandest foods, I won't overeat them. Plot twist, I, you can still overeat literally anything, even if it tastes like garbage. Yes. <laughs> you know, one day I'm like, why am I eating this? Right. But what's so beautiful is exactly what you said was like, the more I just let go the grip, the less my brain was trying to freak out and sabotage it. And allowance that state allow for the rebellious eating to go away and, and really think about a teenager. Like the more yeah. rule you put on a teenager, it's going to be hell in the house, right? You got to yeah. allow. <laughs> Right, mm-hmm. The teenager has to learn to make decisions on their own. That's that whole mm-hmm. phase of teenage year. Yeah. The reason why we control is because we believe, you talked about self-trust, we believe because of all uh-huh. the learnings that we cannot be trusted with food. Okay. And can you talk a little bit about the trust that what I'm feeling is that your perspective is that dieting makes us not trust ourselves yes. with food. But I think that some of what we're talking about, I think is really hard for some people to accept because a lot of people have shared my biggest fear with not having rules is like, mm-hmm. I'll just have a free for all. I won't be able to trust myself. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about that? Which one allows us to trust ourselves more dieting or not dieting? How do you rationalize that? Cause I, I think that's probably one of the biggest fears is if I let go of rules, eat everything and I'll be disappointed. And then you're going to force me to love myself. And then I'll have to love myself the way that I am. (laughs) Right? Like it brings up a lot of fears. Absolutely. We'll say, we'll be honest to say, if you've been restricting and controlling and you move into the process of intuitive eating, or you move in into the allowance process, there will be a bounce back fate. Let's not hide Mm -hmm. it. It's true. It's like a pendulum swinging right? If you hold the pendulum on the right side, when you release it, that thing's going to swing to the other side. Mm -hmm. That is normal human behavior. It's back to your brain, seeing Mm. a restriction or a teenager being told there's no more rules. You can go out as much as you want. What are you going to do? They're going to explore and they're going to go out. You're going to eat all the food. (laughs) Yep. Right. You're going to have a free, I'm free. (laughs) Yeah. This is the beauty of intuitive eating as a process is it recognize that and it guides you through the process of bouncing back, right? So yeah, you allow all the food, 
but then take notice of how you're feeling, what's happening when you have all the food, right? So we go through a process of titration, a process of regulating our nervous system, because we can go into the whole world of somatic work here. But when you're eating all the food, you need to regulate, you need to teach your brain and your body that the restricted food is not the enemy anymore. You need to teach your body that you can be trusted with food, mm -hmm. right? You need to be in a state of calm with the food. So as we're allowing the food in, it's not from a place of disconnected eating. Mm -hmm. It's from a place of connected, mindful eating. For mm -hmm. me, it's the chips. I always give the exercise of chips because that was the biggest fear food that I had, I had to mm. sit with a bag of chip, one chip at a time and eating it and savoring it. That's so beautiful because I think that naturally our mind goes to whatever my trigger food is, the best thing would be for me to keep it out of the house and avoid yes. it. And that's so beautiful. What if we had the courage to actually build a relationship with the thing that we're afraid of the most? And it's a paradigm really? for your whole life. Right. <laughs> we were talking about how there we, we engage with again. food, right? You, you yeah. can spend your life thinking there's bad people on the streets. I'm not going to go in the street. I'm just going to stay in my house and yeah. avoid the world because there's bad people in the world. What if you yeah. could go out into the world, trust that you would have your own back, that there's people there to help you while there is bad people in the street? Well, the same thing with food. You can learn to live your life with the chips. I always say to people, like, there's this class of people called the normal eater. Me and you are not part of that. Perhaps they're now, but back then we were not. I was restricting for weight. You were restricting for health or whatever the other reason. There's a group of people out there who've never restricted uh. any reason. <laughs> I wonder what percentage of people that is. I will say that it depends on their identities. Because one thing I will say that I've discovered over the years, the more that I've shared my story about healing my relationship to food, the more people are open to also confiding in whether it was restriction or emotional eating. And I'm surprised that people who are very fit, very healthy, a lot of people that are I know worst. are like, oh, I'm struggling with stress eating. I'm yeah. sure. And I'm like, wow, I'm curious what percentage of people, I feel like it very slim, who are just have a completely clear and healthy, normal relationship to food? Well, so we'll look at the statistic I know I have. 75% of people identified as women report controlling food. When we look at men, we're looking at 31%. And that's expected in a way, in the sense that diet culture and beauty culture has targeted women, right? The identity of a woman is or was for many decades, the way she looked, right? We were, I call that the good girl syndrome. We were raised to please our environment, emotionally, mentally, and physically. The paradigm is unfortunately shifting to include men because of marketing and social media, but it's much deeper in women. So for looking at the identity of a woman, only 25% of women would report not having controlled food. But when you talk to those people, mm -hmm. and when I say I talk to those people, it's mainly the men's in my life who've never dieted, and are not health obsessed, they don't even understand the concept of emotional eating. Mm -hmm. They're like, emotional right. what? Yeah. I just eat. I've had a lot of people who would say like, no, 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 that's not a thing for me. And then as they go deeper into their own awareness, they're like, whoa, I didn't even realize that was a thing for me. And now I see that it is. I think because diet culture gets so normalized that I almost yep. think that we kind of think that it's not a problem to go through these cycles of restrict over, you know, I ate too much of that party this weekend. And you know, that does happen, right? That is natural. We're not saying, I, I'm I was not saying that say, anybody's yeah. 
diagnosed eating disorder because you overeat a day, but it's interesting how we start to normalize this push pull with food and everything is the enemy. And then we have to restrict on Monday and it just creates this weird. What if it was normal? What if it was normal to eat more one day and eat less the next day? Because when we look at patterns of people who've never restricted, it's not an equalized amount of calorie in and out every day. For sure. I definitely agree with that. Right? It goes up and down and you go back to back in our ancestor. They had food. They ate a lot. They didn't have food. They lost weight, not because they wanted to lose weight. They just didn't have food. Yeah. I think it would be more of a difference between, is it a natural ebb and flow of how much I eat or is it like a push-pull fight is kind of how I feel it. Because there's that culture. The other thing we haven't talked about is wellness culture. Okay. Share with me about that. Yeah. So that culture is the whole valuing of people based on their size of their body and their beauty. Wellness culture is valuing people based on their health status and or their attempt to reach a higher health status. Mm. What's happening right now, people more and more are talking about diet culture and size acceptance and body acceptance is more and more in the media. We're not talking about wellness culture, which is the obsession with health. And people think it's 100% normal to restrict food for health reasons. They don't see it as a problem. So when you ask people, do you restrict food? And that happens to me all the time during intake. Do you restrict food? They'll tell you no. And then you dig and then you dig. You're like, oh, but but I don't eat this. I don't eat this because it's not healthy. And you have a long list of things. So the perception is I'm not restricting food. I'm just eating healthy. How do you navigate? Because there are many people who have all sorts of sensitivities and health issues. And they're like, I just don't think that from a science perspective, this is good for my body, but I'm borderline triggering an eating disorder because I have to restrict. What do you do with that? So let's ask a bigger question. Is there one way of eating that's healthy and one way that is not? No. You, We know that, right? But what people hear in mainstream, what people hear in blogs is that the carnivore way is the right way of eating. This way is the right way. This way and the right. We know because we have an educational background, we can read through the study, but the way nutrition is being portrayed to the average person is there is a right way. And I'm fitting Uh into that mold. Therefore, I have Mm -hmm. to restrict X, Y, and Z. There's not a healthy way of eating. If there was one, everybody would eat that way. But what we know, if you look just at cultural background of people, there's people who eat white rice all day long that are healthy. There's people Mm -hmm. who eat just meat all day long and they're healthy. There's not one way of eating that is healthy for everybody. What if it's not one way of eating, but they're like, oh, you know, I think I'm sensitive to gluten and I'm sensitive to dairy and I get these pains and aches and my gut hurts and all these things. And I just don't think it's good for my body. I know I did too. I had a long list of sensitivities. (laughs) And the truth is that my health didn't get better until I just stopped like restricting things. That was my own experience. But we do have a lot of people, especially people who listen to this podcast who have gone through some serious chronic illnesses. My body doesn't tolerate these foods. So is it developing a healthy relationship while honoring your body in that way? Or, so to those you know? people, I want to say it probably is for you 100% true that your body doesn't tolerate these foods. Like mm-hmm. you probably consume these foods right now and have symptoms. We know that from looking at various intuitive eating and health at every size study and IBS, for an example. IBS is this catch-all digestive issue circumstance and that we know there is a parallel 
between food restriction and IBS. We know, and then you start digging into neuroscience and how our emotions are processed into the body, we know there is sensation, there is contraction in the body when you feel certain emotion. We mm -hmm. can't pinpoint where, but mm -hmm. we know that people with eating disorder, which is an advanced form of food control, have a lot of those sensation in their gut. And there's literally a contraction mm -hmm. of the digestive system mm -hmm. from anxiety that is associated with, I don't tolerate this food. Mm -hmm. It's true when you eat this food, you have this reaction, but the cause is not the food. It's the anxiety you have about eating the food. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So it's absolutely true that right now you feel the sensation of certain food, but is it the food the problem or your thoughts about the food? So can, allowance can you comes heal? back. Absolutely. Yeah. Can you heal your relationship to food? And let's say somebody is like, yeah. no, I believe I need to be on this rigid elimination diet. Sure. I just, I need to. Can you have so much restriction and heal your relationship to food at the same time? Is that, can that The first element is a conscious desire to do so. So mm, if, if that person you just beautiful. portrayed, right, is like fist on the mm -hmm. table, no, there's nothing we can do. <laughs> Allowance will be more harmful than positive because that person is deadly afraid. So we probably need to start just at the thinking level, not putting the person through a, what I want to call a force allowance. The person has to allow the food back and being willing to do so. I call that being willing to be willing. You have mm. to be a partner with yourself and say, no, I'm going to try that. And I'm going to be compassionate with myself. I'm going to create safety for myself. And me and my body are going to do this together. And my body will tell me what I can and cannot eat. But I if the person that. is like, no, you're not ready. Let's do other work. <laughs> And then when you feel that you're willing to start letting go, let's work together to see what can be done at this point in time in your journey. And then so the partnership. You're, you're able to have a deeper relationship with your body and listen to what yes. it's telling you. Uh, instead of like the right, wrong rules, this, that in your head, you're allowing your body to be your guide. I love that. Well, the body being the guide is centric to any non-diet approach to help. Uh -huh. Instead of making a rule external to you that it is health behavior, size of body, food to eat, we're bringing back the power to the body. Mm, and we as the beautiful. conscious mind, we're the, the advocate, the ally for this body. Instead right? Of so, the enemy. but that's reverse mm -hmm. to the current model of health. Model of right. health is like, no, no, no. We've got this paper and this study. This is better. This is better. This yep. is better. Don't right? trust your body. <laughs> no. Get your body into health. <laughs> Our study knows better than you. Right. I love that. So we take the power back and then we build the power via the mechanism of self-trust. And that's mm -hmm. why people, if I come back to the very first question you asked me, like, what does it mean to undiet your life? And I said, my client will tell you my life changed because now they develop this ability to trust with food. And then we go into health, which health habit is good for you, which one is right for you. And then we then start trusting ourselves at work in a relationship, yep. everything else. Like self-trust yeah. doesn't live just with food. It lives with life. Yeah. yeah. And so many people are afraid. What happens if I develop a healthy, loving relationship to my body and my food? And well, you're going to take that 
trust and confidence and it's going to expand your life. It's not going to make, like, there's so many fears around it. And I think people don't realize that the rewards on the other side are insane. It just transfers into everything else. Can we talk about body image? Yes, please. Because it's the elephant in the room, right? Yeah, let's <laughs> talk about that. Right? Please be because the one that's... to like pop the lid on this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Because specifically in my world and women will say like, if I start eating what I want, I'm going to gain weight. Right. And then the assumption is continuing the thought and my life would end. Like my life would be mm -hmm. terrible. Mm -hmm. And I say to that, absolutely. It's 100% normal that you think that it's right. not true, but everything around you told you so. Uh-huh. Right? From your school, your girlfriends in high school, and then your boyfriends, and then your daughter, everything around you. I mean, you go to, I was watching Friends. Did you watch Friends? Have you watched Friends? Oh, yeah. I love Friends. <laughs> oh, my God. It's so fat phobic. Lord. It's terrible. Like the joke made about fat people and the worst thing that could happen to the girls was to get fat. I was raised on that show, like in right. my late teens and my 20s. So all of you ladies that are listening to that, it's normal that you fear because that's everything you've been told. Mm. But what if it isn't? What if it isn't true that the worst thing that can happen to you is gaining weight, but instead living a life, not trusting yourself? I had a realization recently. This was just a recent, I'm always like, huh, getting curious with like yeah. my relationship to all this. And I realized the other day I had this thought in my head of like, oh, what do I want to work towards with my body? And I stopped and I was like, wow, I realized that I grew up with just the fact baseline is just, you're supposed to not feel good in where you're at and working on something is something to do and to get excited for. And there was never this space where I was taught to just hmm. love and be sad satisfied with where I'm at. It was the baseline expectation was be unhappy and use that unhappiness as something to do, as something to feel excited about of the next push to yes. the next vacation. So I really relate to that a lot. We're not in a culture that's just would be the worst if I just loved my body as yes. it is. So here's what would happen. You would be at peace. Because this anxiety of never being enough, this subtle undertone that is just never enough, that you look at the size of your body or your health status, when you value your life on never being healthy enough or never being thin enough, FYI, it doesn't exist. Both end of the spectrum doesn't exist. So you never get there. It's a perpetual pursuit until you die if you don't stop. So what you don't do during that time is live your life. I'm owning the fact that I'm in a fat body because that's where my body wants to be at. I live my life. Like I enjoy my life instead of being in a constant pursuit, in my case of being thinner and all monitoring the enjoyment of life around this goal because that's what we do. Mm. We look at every part of our life and like we deny it in order for us to sleep enough and to like do the one and a half hour morning routine and go to the gym and where's living our life through that and then if you think about your health or your body that's who you are so when you live in a body that you are dissatisfied with you're dissatisfied with yourself and i think that's you make profound a great, i mean i think you make a great point that neither one is right or wrong being in a big no. body medium body little body none of the bodies are wrong it's what makes you feel 
still alive and like you are living life. For me, it's a hundred percent not working out every day, being rigid with my food. I did that in the past and that is not life to me. And I also know that like sitting on the couch and eating pizza and that wouldn't make me feel alive either. Like that's not living to me. And so it's actually really fun to do just what you said, live my life that feels like my fullest expression and my body will rest into that. Yes. It's also this ideal that we live in a society that we all have to be perfect, like perfect beauty, perfect health, perfect Mm -hmm. body. What if perfection overall in life wasn't the goal? So we look at Mm -hmm. body diversity, right? Mm -hmm. When you take the lens off of North American society and you go look at real life, there's people from all sizes, Mm -hmm. from all colors, from all level of different beauty standards. Like there's people that look different, but we're only portrayed one look. Yeah. So that's the lens we need to take out. And what's funny, what's funny, but what's really real, and I want to share this study with people, people are looking to do what's right for them. People are looking to take care of themselves, to live longer, to enjoy life, to do all the things. And what we know from research is that when people don't feel good about their body, don't feel good about their health, don't feel, I don't want to say not health as symptoms, but they think of themselves as not healthy enough, or they think of themselves as not small enough, Mm -hmm. is a direct link with their innate willingness to take action towards their health. Mm -hmm. When people don't feel good about their body, they are less willing Mm -hmm. to move their body, to drink water, to go out in nature. But the size of the body, when you take that same group of people and you look, the correlation between the actual body weight Mm -hmm. is irrelevant. It's how we feel about our body that drives natural health behavior. Motivation. Yeah, it's like when you love your body, you're like, oh, I do want to take care of it. Yeah. And it's irrelevant to the size of it. Totally. I feel like I tried so hard for so many years, shaming and scaring and fearing myself to health. And it's like, sure, you get like this little spark of excitement. And what I had to remind myself was, is can I ever be my most expansive, authentic self through shame? Like, is that the path that I'm going to do it? It's just like, it doesn't work, right? So I- And now we know it doesn't work. Right. Now that we have the knowledge that we have around trauma and how the body yeah. leads to trauma, hell no. There's hell no, no way shame's going to work. Yeah, your poor body is going to be terrified to try and get healthier. <laughs> and here's the thing. That's the foundation of diet culture mm. is shame. Right. The, like the foundation of diet culture is shaming people. So what's the difference? You talk about body neutrality. Like yeah. What's the difference between body neutrality and body body positivity. There is like a big body positivity movement. Can you explain that? So body positivity was born in the beginning of the 70s as a political movement for fat acceptance. The beginning stages of body diversity and political movement and political power, that was body positivity. And in the 90s, it got co-opted as a got to love your body, right? Body positivity and love. But what that does is it set a level of expectation that people have to love their body. Mm. Keep that aside. Now let's go to body neutrality. Body neutrality is about completely changing our beliefs about why we have a body. Hmm. So highest level, ask yourself that question. Why do I have a body as a human? This is a good question. Question I like never this. Asked. Right. But why that's where have, we start with body. Going. Why do I have a body? Huh. Do I have a do I have a body to look good? <laughs> right? Do I have a body to please 
other people looking at me? No. Oh, okay. Do I have a body to love it? Am I supposed to fall in love with myself? Or do I have a body to experience life? Right? Love do I have that. a body? The five senses, right? So we're talking about the taste, hearing, being touched by people. That's why we have a body. Our body is the vehicle of our senses. Because what is life without our senses? If we can't speak, we can't hear, we can't taste, we can't feel, we're not human. Like we're just an organism. So the power of being a human is our senses. Our senses are in our body. And our body is a shell all the physiological system within it. Like it's literally so, a container. Yeah, it's a container. So would you discourage people from developing that emotional attachment to their body? Like I love my body or I love the way that it looks. I wouldn't because it attached you to a certain look, a certain performance. We'll go to the other wellness and performance. Like you were talking about athletes and performance. I work with performance athletes where as they get older, their body doesn't perform the same way and they can't lose weight the same way. And there's all this drama because their body is this ability to perform. So their sense of being is attached to the way their body can look or can perform. Mm -hmm. That's not the purpose of a body. <laughs> Right. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I discourage it because it still maintains you in a status of some kind attached to your body. And when you cannot meet that standard for whatever reason, then you're distraught. You're dissatisfied. That's so interesting. I've never heard anyone have that view before. It's always how do we move towards loving no. our bodies? And that's an interesting new concept. Like, I'm really going to have to sit with that. I've never actually really thought about that before. Very interesting. I will say this, I have this unique perspective because I have my PhD in dieting and hating my body. And I tried to love my body. I'll give you a short insight to that. That was about 10 years ago. There was this movement of body positivity and body love. So I hired this coach to teach me to love my body. And that's so why I had to look at my body and say, I love myself, right? I love mm -hmm. my fat rolls and I love this and I love that. But in my brain was the belief that fat is ugly, that fat is lazy, that fat is terrible. So I had this view of my body that I needed to love and I had this belief system in the back of my head and the two were fighting constantly. And I had a panic attack because of this deep conflicting, I gotta love something that yeah. for my whole life has been told it's ugly, you're lazy, you're bad, you're right. wrong. And that's this part of what caused me to go into the world of psychology and study CBT and all of that, because now I understand I was traumatizing myself every time. So, you, so your mentor had told you to love yourself. That's what you're working Absolutely. on with your mentor. Then. Yeah, I had oh. to love my fat rolls. I wanted to believe, but it literally caused a trauma reaction in my body. I'm like, okay, so if this body positive doesn't work, now I understand trauma and nervous system regulation. I'm like, what's the solution? And wow. I got into the world of feminism and this mentor that I hired of mine said, well, what if as women, the problem is we have the belief that we need to look good. What if this is a raise? And we engage with our body just like men do. 
they just have a body to perform in life. What if that was our purpose of our body as well, to just go and do life? And then that got me into studying the whole history cycle of diet culture and feminism. It's just like, that's the answer. Mm, Shifting wow. our belief about why we have a body. I love that. I want to sit with that one and really just like <laughs> integrate that with myself. That is really powerful. Instead of trying to force yourself on the other side, what if you just stepped outside of the entire model and just pulled yourself out of it and yes. did something entirely different? Yes. Like that's a great analogy. Pull yourself out of that complete storyboard and try something completely different. So that's what we do in body neutrality is we throw everything out and we start from fresh and we rebuild up. Love it. And here's, the, here's the beauty of this is when you rebuild up your belief system about why you have a body and you neutralize all of it, you get to that place of natural body respect because you're like, okay, if I have a body to experience life and I want to experience life as long as I can and as much as I can, what do I need to do to support this thing that I have called a body? Mm, it's your vehicle. It's your container to get through to experience life. Yeah. So now I got to support it. So if it's like got to move my body for me with food restriction came over exercising. So I had a break of about five years where I didn't exercise at all, yep. other yep. from going from my couch to the desk in my mm -hmm. office. And I got to this place of body respects like, okay, the human body's got to move. Let's figure mm -hmm. something out. It is not about weight loss. What do you like to do to move your body? Right. So I started re-engaging in things that I actually love doing to support, to be the ally for my body, that's not to manipulate so it. <laughs> yeah, that's so beautiful. Oh my gosh. And so your ideas and your concepts are so different. I'm sure a lot of people are, wow, this feels like Water. everything I've been needing to hear and is probably also really stretching what I think yes. I know or I always know. I think you have like a checklist that people can yes. go through. And can you share a little bit more about like what that is and some of the resources that you have? The quiz, let's call it quiz. quiz. Call it, that's what a, it is, quiz. Okay. Quiz. It's a four page PDF document that's going to take cool. you through asking yourself question about your relationship to food, mm -hmm. your relationship to your body and health. And then we'll, at a simplest level, evaluate where you are and explain to you why that relationship to food is not the healthiest that it can be from a perspective of being in a trustful relationship to food. So it's going to take people through those three quadrants, those three parts, health, body, and food is going to show you some behavior and it's going to help you understand why you do what you do. So diet culture is going to walk you through diet culture, is going to walk you through fat phobia, it's going to walk you through optimum health and how it can actually be counterproductive. It's going to give you the science behind it to show you that mm -hmm. what you think is the truth, mm -hmm. it's actually not even supported by science. Mm -hmm. So that PDF is going to mm -hmm. be available in your in your show yep. notes, download mm -hmm. it, you can do it digitally, you can print it, and then all the science supporting each element are lined below it. So you can really for all the intellectual people satisfy that like, oh, this is actually true, right? And then the second resource I want to give is my podcast. So since we're listening mm -hmm. to we're on a podcast, going beyond the food show is the mm. OG podcast of 
intuitive eating and health at every size. We've been running for six years. We have 360 wow. episodes. Wow, cool. So you'll find an episode called body neutrality. You'll find another one called health at every size. Like all the stuff is in there and there's me explaining to you the basic of it and how you can start in your life. So that would be my two resources mm -hmm. for all of you. And I would say the third one is not a resource. It's a coaching. Can I do that for a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yes, please. Yeah, share anything that people take advantage of, learn from you. Tell us yeah. all about it. So as you hear those concepts, you may feel triggered because it's mm -hmm. far-fetched, right? It's like on the, Can you're I over there. <laughs> it's over there. Yeah. I invite you to meet that sensation of being triggered, however it feels into your body, as learning. I feel that trigger and I want to be angry and I want to like challenge this. It's an invitation for you to look. It's challenging you. It's making you feel unsafe and your body's reacting with however way you react when you're being triggered. It's an invitation. Take your time. Just sit on this bit by bit. Take the information Said what is in there that could actually benefit me. I don't have to take it all in. <laughs> like if I can just take this part and build compassion and safety for yourself for being triggered for being challenged and take that as a learning lesson and take your time. And when you're ready, raise your hand and we'll be there to help you. Mm, that's so beautiful. So you do coaching. Is there anything else? Yes. We have group programs. So Undiet Your Life is a group program that is more accessible from a price point perspective. We have one-on-one -on -one coaching. I train professional like you, dietitian who had been classically trained mm -hmm. and want to become body neutral and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I have a bunch of people that work for me that have been trained and going beyond the food and on diet your life. So if you want one-on-one, -on -one, we have resources for that. And we have a program for professional as well, separately. Beautiful. And are you on Instagram? Is there anywhere else people can oh, find you? Instagram and uh -huh. Facebook. That would be the two places. So Steph Dodzi on Instagram and Stephanie Dodzi on Facebook. All right. We will put all of the links and everything that you shared with us here today. Thank you so much. I am so in alignment. Just love everything that you say and share. You. And you can really tell that not only do you have your own heart and your passion and soul like in this, but you're really good at what you do. And I can feel you. your expertise and your passion and your care for people. So yeah, thank you so much for just sharing and the work that you do. Is there anything else that you want to leave people with before we wrap up? I want to say to people that no matter what you take from Undiet Your Life, from the way that I teach you or what I taught today is to have compassion. Mm -hmm. If you want to think about the carrier, like the sometimes we mix essential oil with an oil carrier, think of all the various elements I dropped in, the carrier of that so that you can start living with it and embodying is compassion. Mm -hmm. And that's what we don't have enough of. So compassion and meet yourself like I'm putting my hands on my heart right now. So have compassion for yourself, no matter what you take from me or you don't take just have compassion for yourself for whatever you're going through right now. Thank you. That's so beautiful. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this amazing, beautiful, inspiring talk today. Stretched your brain a little bit. Definitely check out Stephanie and we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We hope you enjoyed and learned a lot from this episode. For more updates, follow us on Instagram at Gutsy Health Podcast.